This course is brought to you by the Fantastic Lecture Series, bringing college-level education to base-level people since 1997. The following lecture series is entitled Basics in Western Philosophy. The lecturer is Professor Catherine Green, who as well as having been a staple of academia within Oxford University for more than 20 years, has also written 17 books on various different topics ranging from philosophy, horticulture, equestrian mating, and the Bilderberg Group. In 2012, she received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Division of the History of Philosophy of the Scottish Philosophy Division of the Advancement of Philosophical Ideas Relating to Philosophy in the Western World. If you enjoy this lecture series, you can find many more like it on our website, www.thefantasticlectures.org. Basics of Western Philosophy, Lecture 1. What is philosophy? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Professor Catherine Green, and welcome to part one in a long series of short lectures on the subject of philosophy in Western society. Now, you'll have to excuse the wee microphones dotted around the lecture theatre, and also I think there is a wee camera at the back there, but these lectures are actually being recorded for an audiobook educational series, I'm told, is designed for people who perhaps couldn't get to university because they're poor or perhaps they can't walk or maybe they've only just now realised much, much later in their lives that their previous vocation has been an utter waste of time. Perhaps now they're desperately clutching at straws in an attempt to set their lives in a new, more positive direction, having unfortunately squandered their time at school, be it from, I don't know, an unplanned pregnancy or a petty theft gone awry. People could actually be listening to these lectures from prison. So for that reason, I'd kindly ask everyone here today to please keep your questions to a minimum until each lecture has come to a conclusion, and I'll be more than happy to answer any queries at the end. Now, with that out of the way, let's talk about the F word, shall we? No, I'm not talking about that F word. No, I'm talking about philosophy. But what is philosophy? It's a word we all know, but if we're completely honest, very few of us know what it actually means, do we? Well, we should probably first take a few minutes to go over what philosophy isn't. That way we can build up a better understanding of what it is through the process of elimination. So, maths. Maths isn't philosophy. Maths is the science of numbers. Geography isn't philosophy either. Although geography can affect philosophy, for example, there's Eastern philosophy and there's also Western philosophy, which we're focusing on today. The closest we have to Northern philosophy are the works of Alan Bennett. That's just a little bit of philosopher humour there. You don't, you don't have to write that in your notebooks. Science. Science is not philosophy, but you can have a philosophy of science or you can have a science of philosophy, but... Some people think philosophy is a science, and well, at the end of the day, you don't need a Bunsen burner to stroke your chin and say, I think, therefore I... To say, I think, therefore I... Excuse me a moment, let me just check my wee notes. 
I think therefore I am. Now, it's widely understood that the ancient Greeks initially invented philosophy as a means of excusing their perverse predilections for young boys. See, in a society in which people were fundamentally bad or immoral, it was extremely helpful for them to detach from the standard or normal ways of thinking. See, if as a society you're constantly asking why this or why not that, then you'll eventually open doors in your brain that can never be closed again. And before you know it, you'll be dreaming up all kinds of mad stories about women with snakes for hair and men in big wooden horses. What I'm saying is philosophy is a dangerous game, but there are diamonds in the rough, philosophical treasures to be located. We're not going to be focusing on, on, on the mythology stuff because it, it has no significance to what we're talking about today. The other thing that gave the Greeks a head start on philosophical thought was that they were incredibly lazy. It's well documented that as well as having lots of sunshine to enjoy, they also had an efficient slave economy, giving them lots of free time to just lounge around, eating grapes, and just sort of thinking about stuff. Although, of course, they didn't think too much about the whole slavery thing, but they certainly came up with some nice pottery. Philosophy is basically thinking, but not just thinking as in, oh, I think I should have a risotto for dinner tonight, or I think The Martian is a profoundly overrated film, and I don't quite understand what all the fuss was about. No, philosophy sets its sight on a much more profound question. That question is, how should life be lived? That's the central question of general philosophy. But you can boil that down to even further. You can say, why? Why is a good starting point? We ask ourselves, why, all the time, don't we? Why did I put that coloured t-shirt in with my whites? Why did I drink so much at the faculty Christmas party? Why was my 2016 book on existentialism snubbed for the Bialy Gifford non-fiction prize when it was clearly a better book than Sarah Bakewell's somewhat overrated existentialist cafe? See, the Greeks believed in many gods, gods who weren't omniscient. Daft gods, basically. This sort of open theology leads the way for philosophical thought because if your god is thick as a plank, and you've got no one there to guide you properly. You're left to your own devices, so to speak. So now most people at the time, they weren't great thinkers. A lot of them, in fact, barely thought at all. Until philosophy reared its head, all people really talked about were those black and orange plates that you see in the museums. Now, I like the look of black and orange plates as much as anyone else. There's no denying that it's a striking aesthetic. The colours undoubtedly go well together. And whoever initially came up with it at first, I'll give them credit. It's a good idea, but that's all it is, isn't it? One singular good idea. Now, see, people would gather in their courts and olive groves, in their togas and things, and, and discuss those plates. It would be like, oh, greetings, um... Anastasius, how are your black and orange plates today? And he'd say something like, well, Heraclitus, I think I've made a profound breakthrough this morning. Oh, is that so indeed? Well, get this, they're black and they're orange, but imagine if around the edges I put, I put a wee pattern around it. Oh, that's a great idea, Anastasius. Why don't you also consider popping a wee bit of gold on there as well? You shut your mouth, Heraclitus, you've gone absolutely berserk. Get out of my court. Well, 
One man got sick of talking about black and orange plates. That man was Socrates, a rather chubby and homeless looking individual who knew as much about philosophical rhetoric, speeches and persuasion as he did about young boys. And we will look more into the legacy of Socratic thought in the next lecture. Thank you. If you enjoy this lecture series, you can find many more like it on our website, www.thefantasticlectures.org.